0: Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up-to-date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. Today on the show, I'll be interviewing Robin Walser, PhD, who is co-director of the Bay Area Trauma Recovery Center and is on staff at the Veterans Administration National Center for PTSD Dissemination and Training Division. She's a licensed psychologist and maintains an international training, consulting, and therapy practice. She's an expert in acceptance commitment therapy and has expertise in traumatic stress and substance abuse, and has authored a number of articles, chapters, and books on these topics, including the book she co-authored with Dara Westrup: Acceptance Commitment Therapy for the Treatment of Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and Trauma-Related Problems, A Practitioner's Guide to Using Mindfulness and Acceptance Strategies. Let's listen to the interview. Well, hi Robin, welcome for joining me today. Hi Keith, thanks for inviting me, happy to be here. Yeah, definitely. So Robin, I've known you for some years, Um, I forget exactly how we originally got connected, but you came and did some trainings in acceptance commitment therapy for my institute, and then we did a great one-way mirror series where you were the trainer and um, there was a therapist actually working with one of my clients that I had worked with over 10 sessions and just like, it was incredible to see the, the transformation that happened. Um, and I know that we've, I think you've done a tr- training for us on your work with PTSD and you've been actually supervising a, a number of different associates that we've had over the years who are associated nonprofit. Um, so yeah, I would just love to, you know, See if you could talk a little bit about you know, your work and kind of, um, and I, I was mentioning just before that I haven't really heard the backstory on how you got so involved with ACT or in the PTSD work and I know you work with the VA. Um, yeah, so tell me a little bit about it.
1: Sure, sure. Well, so um, where to begin is an interesting question. <laughs> um, I would say that I first sort of got into uh, where I was headed. Um, by being very bad at chemistry and so (laughs) I um, was planning to go to medical school I could not get the chem I was just getting C's in chem and that wasn't going to get me where I needed to go and so I started taking some psychology courses and got a job as a you know those on-campus jobs where you um, um, work for uh, like Money and an
0: assistant
1: on a you yeah. know on a campus setting,
0: like a work study uh, or something.
1: Like well, that, that that was it was work study, yeah. and um, I was working in a behavioral research lab where I was running uh, rats on mazes, basically training mm. rats to run mazes and giving them little pieces of fruit for doing it correctly. And uh, so I just started getting more and more interested and uh, ultimately applied for a master's program at uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: went down there and started getting involved in some practicum where I was working with folks who'd been traumatized and in particular uh, youngsters, like 10, 11, 12 year olds who had been mm. uh, suffering from childhood sexual abuse. And so we were getting mm. them right as they were coming out of those wow. uh,
2: situations.
1: Yeah. and. The pain and difficulty of it was really, um, really challenging. And I discovered at that time that I didn't want to work with trauma, in uh-huh. particular with children.
0: Sure. It's like,
1: oh, so hard. hard. Work. It's
0: heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, heartbreaking work, and um, uh, feeling um, a lot of distress about, you know, who are the people that are doing this to these children.
2: Uh huh. You know,
1: what's happening to them and do they know the impact and you know, questioning things a fair bit
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, but I decided to pursue a master's degree looking at um, childhood sexual trauma but with adults uh-huh. and uh, you know what were the long-term impacts and um, did my master's in that area and then uh, applied to a program in Reno where there was a lot of uh, trauma work going on, and mm-hmm. so I was going to continue to grow my career there by working with um, Professor, Dr. Um, uh, uh, Victoria Follette, mm. and so went up there for my PhD,
0: yeah.
1: and in the first year, uh, Steve Hayes invited all the students to an, act, an acceptance and commitment therapy workshop, mm-hmm. And I went and I had such an amazing experience and felt like I had just come home mm. and really um, encountered some of my own trauma from my past uh-huh. Uh-huh. and looked at how I was relating to myself and, you know, sort of coming back to a place where I detected my own sense of wholeness despite mm-hmm. my personal trauma. And um, that was all she wrote, like I was hooked. Yeah, you were Uh, in it. I was in it and I I straddled both labs, essentially. I worked in Vic's lab and then I worked in Steve Hayes' lab, the developer Mm -hmm. of ACT. And uh, ended up doing a dissertation combining the two and uh, planned to continue that trajectory I actually Mm -hmm. got my dream job right out of graduate school. I went to become a professor at the university in a university setting on a tenure track and discovered that I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so left after a year and uh, came to the Bay Area Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: worked in a substance use program for a bit of time and then applied to the National Center for PTSD and Mm -hmm work there now and have worked there for 20 years and have really just made my career around acceptance and commitment therapy and
0: trauma. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And how long, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, whatever, got, got licensed back in, you know, grad school and so on in the, uh, 2009 and in those times. Um, mm-hmm. What was, uh, and what was ACT like kind of as you were going along? I guess uh, it sounds like you got introduced to it, what, 25 years ago or 20 years ago or so? Ah, <laughs> 30 years ago. 30 years, yeah. <laughs>
1: so it's been a lot. 91 was when I first got introduced to ACT. Ah, okay. Yeah. And if you look at what was happening during that time with acceptance and commitment therapy, it was still very limited, like sort of the Reno, University of Nevada, Reno crowd, and a few other people were dipping into it. Uh-huh. Um, the research studies were just starting to come in. We were actually sitting mm-hmm. in uh, Steve's lab developing the intervention and working on yeah. the intervention. Wow. And so it was very new at that time. And I would say hardly anybody knew about it, really. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And uh, then the, it used to actually be called um, comprehensive distancing. Hmm. So if you do a literature search, you could yeah. find a couple of articles on comprehensive distancing,
0: hmm. but
1: it gave the wrong impression, right? Like you're trying to comprehensively get away from yourself. Yeah, right.
0: This is actually the approach is the opposite of avoidance, not, <laughs> yeah. not encouraging avoidance. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so um, it was, they renamed it and came up with the six core processes, the psychological flexibility processes. And let's see, um, the first book came out in 1999. So that was really when
2: Mm. it
1: launched more significantly. Um, Steve Hayes, Kelly Wilson, and Kirk Strassel were the authors. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started to um, really take off Research started growing, and it's mm-hmm. now an evidence-based psychotherapy for a number of disorders. And um, there's over like there's close to 400 randomized controlled trials wow. um, showing that it works.
0: Yeah,
1: and so and it's bit all over the world. Like they're doing it in places like um, Jordan and Iraq, mm-hmm. and yeah. China, and you know New Zealand, and mm-hmm. it's. Malaysia, I mean, there's, it really has traveled South Africa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, of course, the United States, Canada, yeah. South America, like it's exploded. And um, When well, I know everywhere.
0: that it's part of the, the, I think they call it the third wave of CBT, kind of that. And can you talk a little bit about that or kind of what that means to you or, or so on or how ACT fits in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't do the, do it the same justice as somebody like Steve Hayes would if he were talking about it. But, um, you know, each sort of wave of psychotherapy, I think, is an advancement in things that we're doing. And there'll probably be another one. And we'll see where that takes us. Like right now, um, there's some kind of combination of evolution and uh, uh, the third wave behavior therapies like Variability, adaptability, selection—kind of linking those up to some of the things that we're doing inside of the mm. acceptance commitment therapy, um, broader association and group that are kind of interesting. Oh, interesting. Focusing more on process-based interventions than simply uh-huh. on, you know, uh, techniques or treatment programs or treatments per se.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the um, the the waves are sort of a reaction to what came before, uh-huh. but not in a negative reaction, like a building, like what What yeah. do we need to add or change or fix to move forward? And so if you think about things like um, Watsonian behaviorism and that kind of black box idea of what, you know, give me a six-year-old and I'll make you a lawyer kind of thing.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh,
1: um, that it was too limited in terms of, what how human beings function and work that there are there is stuff going on inside the skin and mm-hmm. people are thinking and um, emoting and so what you saw rise out of that was the second wave of the cognitive therapies that were really much more focused on what's what are you thinking and if you look at some of the like original writings it's you know Thoughts are the main thing. Thoughts Mm -hmm. cause emotions, cause behavior like sort of a linear process and I think the third wave in a very sort of non sophisticated way that I'm speaking about it sort of rolled out out of that, that that wasn't sufficient Mm -hmm. either because people are whole beings and sensations, emotions thoughts, memories, these are interactional and context based. Uh, and so, uh, and that maybe you could um, have a thought and not act on it. And maybe, yeah. you, maybe, maybe it isn't a direct linear relationship, That's it's more mm-hmm. complex than that, depending yeah. on your learning history. And so some of the more be um, radical behavioral kinds of uh, theories moved out and we've got things like dbt which was developed almost simultaneously with that like dbt yeah. and act and some of the mindfulness-based therapies that
2: yeah. Mindfulness-based capture DBT, so. mm-hmm.
1: yeah now it's not to say that like big c little b cognitive therapy disappeared it's just mm-hmm. expanded upon and mm-hmm. people can read about the distinctions between the two and you know they're both evidence based psychotherapies um as processes they can both be used and so it's it's not any sort of um one or the other is better or you know best or something like that it's sure. just the movement is looking more at the whole person rather than just thinking
0: yeah just completely yeah. the thoughts. And I, and I know that one way that I've kind of conceptualized it a little bit too, is that um, whereas maybe CBT or rational mode of behavioral therapy, kind of the idea was to like identify the, you know, uh, distorted thoughts or the rational thoughts and kind of like almost get rid of them or replace them with, with something else where in act is, you know, more about just kind of noticing and being with those thoughts and not necessarily trying to get rid of those thoughts and particularly you know one of the, the main central themes that I've taken away from act is that idea that that ultimately a lot of, a lot of the difficulty is in our attempts to get rid of anxiety or get rid of negative thoughts and ultimately you know being open to the full range of human experience um, yeah,
1: yeah no it's it has that kind of more the that human beings are built to uh, feel and experience a lot like they're designed to have anxiety and fear, sadness, et cetera. And that um, uh, that thinking is a part of the context, it's not the full context. And so when I think about what I see in the CBT work today, you know, it's all bi-directional, it's changed and moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it it has moved also and so and shifted yeah. into other other places and isn't sort of that rational emotive kind of you know out with the bad and in with the good
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know the i think if, um that kind of idea that you have stinking thinking or you mm-hmm. know these those the older ideas of um you know you're just your thoughts are negative and you need to break them down mechanically and redo them and put them Mm -hmm. back together in a way that makes them rational and logical. Although there's, there's still some of that kind of cognitive work today where you're wanting to move people from dysfunctional and illogical thinking to, you know, um, rational ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And from, from the perspective of the, or the theories underlying acceptance and commitment therapy, we wouldn't necessarily say that a thought is irrational or dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. What we would say is that that's a thought about a thought. That's a yeah. you're labeling a thought and mm-hmm. you still have to look at thinking as a mm-hmm. whole, that that too dysfunctional thinking, the thought that's a dysfunctional thought also has to be analyzed where does yeah. that come from what is that about
2: yeah but
1: just you know sort of looks at mind as a whole versus mind as certain kinds of thoughts
0: or sure.
1: yeah and, and and
0: i i don't um i don't know if i've never heard hear the story so much so actually one of the reasons i was actually attracted to cognitive behavioral therapy and act um back in undergraduate my minor was in eastern philosophy and you know, kind of the the Buddhist uh, thinking, and just even as you're saying that reminds me of the you know kind of noticing thoughts and the non-judgmental. And I really like P- P- Pema Chodron's work and so on. And so that idea that our experience it's colored by our perceptions, and that we can learn to sit with and experience those um, and and notice those in a non-judgmental way um, is yeah. Is that a as significant piece of you know uh, yeah uh Stephen Hayes kind of process as he was kind of developing after is that just yeah What's you know uh, he's
1: mm-hmm. he's not a buddhist himself um oh, yeah. he like like Marshall Linehan you know she um, practices buddhism and you mm-hmm. can hear a lot of eastern kind of mindfulness work in there and yeah Steve developed this more from relational frame theory and thinking about you know what is mind and how do we learn to think and so um the um the, but they happen to line up right when you start mm-hmm. looking at you have a mind you are not a mind mm-hmm. that you're yeah. a conscious and aware being that can um observe thinking but i put that in quotes because yeah you know you might see symbolic em- symbolic behavior at all but you know, images or recognize that there's a process going on that's called mind,
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: that you can see it. Um, mm-hmm. It has that same kind of quality as what you see in Buddhism when they're practicing meditation or mindfulness mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of the mindfulness um, work that's done in um, kind of east from an eastern approach can be brought into act in a way that's mm-hmm. very consistent. And yeah. 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 The, I think the goal is like thinking about living consciously.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which I think Buddhism would also espouse, right? Is living consciously and that it's be I here now aware
0: mm-hmm. I here
1: now um uh, experiencing.
0: Yeah.
1: And um uh, I think that lines up with um, some Eastern ideology pretty mm-hmm. pretty nicely.
0: Yeah, definitely. But can you kind of describe, I guess, the, um, the the aspects of a act and kind of yeah in a yeah what kind of what what makes it up are those kind of principles and like how that what that looks like in a therapy.
1: Yeah, well, so it's it's based on principles of learning, so it's a behavioral approach and. Uh, essentially, we're doing a functional analysis of individual's behavior and looking at what's um, leading people to suffer. And so uh, the six core processes are about um, addressing the suffering. And so those six core processes are openness or acceptance, willingness to experience, mm-hmm. Diffusion or um, seeing that you have a mind, not that you are a mind. And I can say more about that. Sure. Present moment, living in the here and now, self as context or perspective taking, being able to see yourself as a place where these, where emotion, thoughts and sensations occur, rather than than you are those as they're defined, like anxiety, you are not your anxiety, you're a being with anxiety in this moment in time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. values-based living. And so we want to hook up anything that we're doing in the room to creating meaningful living according to what the client cares about rather than just feeling, um, uh, you know, it's not mindfulness for mindfulness sake, it's in the service of meaningful living Mm -hmm. and then committed action. Like what actions will you take to bring that meaning to life, And if you, if you look at the other side of that, what we're addressing is avoidance of internal experience. So that's mm-hmm. the acceptance, willingness part. Fusion with mind. I am my mind. I am my thoughts. Mm-hmm. They define me. Uh, <clears throat> so you're out of contact with, I have a mind, I'm not a mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, living in the past, worrying about the future or very low self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. so i'm not aware of myself either and what my experiences are that matches up with present moment and then uh, self as identity or self as story which is uh, the opposite of self as context where i am the content of my life rather than i'm a context in which that content occurs
2: mm-hmm.
1: so um like a good example here with trauma might be something like I was victimized Mm -hmm. and wrecking and, you know, maybe having a PTSD as a result Mm -hmm. and then sort of living inside of the victim identity.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And I want to be careful when I say this, because it's not a, it's a, it's the victim's fault. It's that our learning history sets us up in many ways to kind of buy what our mind is selling so to speak
2: yeah
1: and so we can get inside of continuing to suffer Mm -hmm. because we were victimized and starting to buy that identity so an example might be a vietnam era veteran who has ptsd for 30 years and when they come into your therapy room it's not a human being that's walking in it's vietnam is walking in right like their Mm -hmm. whole identity has become about that experience, or kind mm-hmm. of like captured by it, and they've lost that they're a father and a brother and a um, community member mm-hmm. and a husband, right? Like they're all of those other senses of themselves are given over to the one identity. Mm-hmm. I am my PTSD.
2: Yeah.
1: So that's sort of the place where we work with selfless context to help them expand their awareness of self.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, the opposite of values, if we think about an inflexibility or rigidity is out of contact with it or lack of clarity, not living my values. And committed action is like holding still, inaction or impulsive or drinking or using Mm -hmm. drugs. Um, And so what we're doing is targeting all those things that create suffering by using their antidote, I guess you could call
0: it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've almost thought about like um, act as almost like a enhanced, almost motivational interviewing for exposure and kind of connecting to one's values and committing to going through the discomfort of say addressing the trauma or you know making a dealing with you know something that's that's hard rather than avoiding it and then and, and really kind of being able to. Be willing to to experience those difficult emotions, to go towards something that's important, and staying in that present moment, you know, kind of having that perspective taking and being open to the full range, um, you know, and, and kind of moving forward, despite rather than you know, I, there's lots of great metaphors about making deals with anxiety and, and that leading to, you know, kind of avoidance, but then anxiety kind of driving your life rather than values.
1: Yeah, precisely. So when I like in the case of um, a trauma survivor, they might be very much sort of caught in problem solving um, sort of mind where they're experiencing fear or anxiety about what happened. Um, And by the way, there's other responses to trauma, um, like moral injury responses that are also part of what we're looking at when we're looking at reactions to trauma. Uh And So I like if I put my mind to problem solving my emotions, then I could just do something like this. Well, I feel fear or I get triggered when I'm at the grocery store. That's what the logical thing to do. If you're like problem solving is don't go to the grocery store, right? Like the
0: grocery store, that's
1: problem solved. (laughs) Right. Right. Problem solved. And then the problem with it, that is emotions don't cooperate. And so then, you you know feel anxiety in the front yard because mm. it feels open or vulnerable or something like that. Mm-hmm. So problem solve again. Don't go to the front yard.
2: Yeah, the and list of the way doesn't get longer,
1: right. and your life gets smaller, 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 and you end up doing things like spending all of your time in your bedroom in front of the Game Boy or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I think Game Boy is old, by the way. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, my my kids have Nintendo Switch now. I might
1: might be dating myself a little bit with that, but um, you know, and so the the issue is is like problem solving is good and healthy and practical, depending on where it's applied. Like out there in the world, where you're interacting with your environment, problem solving can be a great thing. Like if you don't like the room you're sitting in, you can paint that room. But mm-hmm. problem solving applied to your internal experience, like the stuff that's going on inside your skin, fails. Mm-hmm. Like you you can't problem solve away human emotion. Mm-hmm. And indeed, we now know that if you're if you try to suppress any emotion, like pain or anxiety, you end up numbing out to all emotion
2: mm-hmm. So we're not very
1: good. At one right mm-hmm. and so if you're not willing to feel pain you're going to cut yourself off from joy as well
0: yeah.
1: and so you sort of have to put it all down and you you know i'll see from folks with ptsd and trauma who have no joy they're just like there's no yeah. joy in my life at all and and they're trying to problem solve something which is more like um a sunset right it's something you experience not something you treat like a math problem
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. That yeah. yeah, reminds me of uh, the Kiel, Khalil Gibram uh, poem from the prophet on love and that you can't experience the greatest joy unless you're willing to risk the greatest pain. And so if you try to protect yourself from ever feeling pain, um, you, you aren't able to experience that the, the joy there and that, that love or connection. And so yeah. that, that, again, being open to that full range uh, of human experience, definitely. Well, and
1: when I think about, you know, if I, if you think about life as a menu in a mm-hmm. way, right, like, are you only going to taste certain things on the menu? Or are you, are you going to like, t- like, we're only here for a short period of time, right? We're, we're born, we're, we're alive, we're conscious, and then we die. And so mm-hmm. the question, what are you going to do with that time? And if all of your time is spent, avoiding and running and you know trying not to feel Mm -hmm. then you can just feel the menu getting shorter and shorter and shorter and part of what i want to do is like invite people to taste everything on the menu even the things you don't don't like like live and experience and while you're here bring meaning to what Mm -hmm. you're doing and or create meaning is a better way to say it like get out there and do things that matter to you mm-hmm. um, uh, and so i point wouldn't point ask point. anybody to feel pain for pain's sake right we always mm-hmm. want to link up to um living the way you want to live and so when people come into therapy the question is kind of like this do you want to feel better or live well you mm-hmm. know sort of put that out there as you know which you're going to pick and you have this much time to be in your life Like, which one do you pick Mm -hmm. I mean it's I'm oversimplifying but you can sort of see what what the main
0: issue is there. definitely definitely yeah because if we choose kind of the avoidance of the discomfort then yeah sometimes we aren't able to live well because everything's focused and revolves around uh maintaining comfort
1: right life is not comfortable
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's for sure (laughs) now um, Yeah. So what does this look like in therapy or particularly to, I know know you do a lot of work with trauma. Like what does this look like in, in, in work with trauma and work with clients?
1: So exposure is built in to act emotional exposure, exposure to thinking exposure to your experiencing your bodily sensations. Like this is part of what willingness is about is to be allow what, what is present to be present and without, to process it, to move through it, to let it roll through you rather than to push against it and keep it at bay, which tends to sustain it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what we're, what we'll run through a, a kind of a regular process of looking at how problematic control or attempts to control your internal experience have been and try to undermine that control so that you are willing to kind of look at alternatives to control of internal experience
2: mm-hmm. you
1: want people to be in control of their lives like be in control of your behavior and what you're doing in the world mm-hmm. but um, letting go of what's going on inside your skin will free you up to do that it's not that control is bad per se of internal experience it's just contextually dependent like where and when do you control mm-hmm. and how much do you control so it's Excessive in this applied control that we want to sort of get underneath, yeah, and get people to consider the alternative of letting go of that in the service of values based living. And so, it's the exposure is right inside of that. I will feel what's there to be felt. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, some of the ways I work with act in the trauma in trauma therapy is to not just do exposure, and I will integrate like things like prolonged exposure. You um, can integrate EMDR, you can integrate mm. accelerated reprocessing therapy, you can integrate um, the um, uh, WET protocol, the written exposure therapy, like uh-huh. so that you're not only exposing people to the emotions that they're having in general, but specific to the trauma. Mm-hmm. Some of the fear-based stuff that's kind of keeping them from living, you know, or that's what they're avoiding. Yeah. So we're going to integrate and expose, um, but we're going to tie all of that to creating meaning. So mm. it's not just when we're going to reduce your fear.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, or the symptoms, what, like what, the expose, and even, what, we might not even talk about reducing symptoms because uh, in some ways the internal experiences are going to be there. And mm-hmm. so it's it's the suffering around those that we're interested in reducing. So yeah, There's sort of natural pain that comes from trauma. Mm-hmm. And then all of the efforts to get rid of that pain, which mm-hmm. we would define as suffering. So we're interested yeah. in reducing suffering by being present to the natural experience mm-hmm. of pain and letting it rise and fall as it rises and falls. Yeah. As all emotion does, all emotion rises and falls. And then um, Working with folks to live more in the here and now instead of the past, Mm -hmm. helping them see that they were a victim, that they're not a victim. Like opening up their sense of self Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um, uh, defining their values, and getting them, you know, doing things, behavior, making behavioral commitments that are in line with those with those values that they're that they're interested in. Yeah,
0: and that that kind of idea you're talking about that there's a primary pain in that secondary suffering, the, the pain of the loss or the pain of the, you know, in, in triggering or so on. But then that other secondary suffering that's saying, Oh, you shouldn't be feeling this and you're bad for feeling this or something wrong with you. You're not good enough. Or you're not trying hard enough or whatever it might be. It kind of exacerbates it uh, essentially and kind of, yeah. Um, you know, I, I always like monsters on the bus, but, uh, you know, I don't know if uh, you have any favorites that kind of, you know, I, I think that the, I love the different, you know, kind of metaphors with the act and because it really kind of helps kind of you know, bring it to, to light that kind of idea of like kind of not making deals with anxiety and moving towards one's values rather. I, what? Yeah, I don't know if maybe you can talk about that one or maybe your any of your other favorite ones.
1: Well, I probably my favorite work is in selfless context or perspective taking, mm. um, uh, because we and there is a little bit of that in the um, um, passengers on the bus or monsters on the bus metaphor, right. right? Where you're invite the passengers represent all of your feelings, sensations, and thoughts, and you invite them on the bus to ride where you're going, not where they want you to go.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
1: And so yeah. as, as sort of a brief way of talking about it. Um, but I I'm kind of what if I just say the thing that I find so relevant and I think probably the thing that made the difference for me when I think about my own experience back
2: mm-hmm. when I did
1: my first act workshop was realizing that I'm a I'm a being who has experiences. Mm-hmm. I am not those experiences themselves. Mm -hmm. It has that very Eastern quality,
2: too.
1: I am a place where all of these events are flowing through, and maybe they flow through again and again, but they're rising and falling, rising and falling, and that sort of idea of well, one of the metaphors that they use that they use, I know you're aware of is the chessboard metaphor.
0: Yeah, i was thinking chessboard, yeah.
1: Where your where all the pieces on the board are your thoughts, feelings and emotions good and bad if we're going to label them. Yeah. By the way, if, if I could do psychology over again, there would be no such thing as negative and positive. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <They're>
0: just, <laughs> be,
1: just emotions. They're and, just
0: emotions, yeah.
1: Yeah, they're just emotions, just thoughts. Right. Like we've sort of categorized them in ways that tell people, and this is a language-based thing, like tell people that you should get rid of those that are negative. Yeah, And, you know, we, we know pretty well from the um, literature on things like suppression, that it's very hard to undo a thought. You can't unlearn. You can only add to learning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So if I say things like Mary had a little lamb, something pops up.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And if like I told you you need to now never think that again, you need to not think lamb. When I said Mary had a little, like can you there's an impossibility in it. And mm-hmm. that same thing happens with trauma thoughts and trauma memories. And so we can add to them and grow your a change your relationship with them and you know get things happening that expand. Mary had a little lamb and a dog.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And a little lamb and a dog and a rabbit so that you can start to expand the way you're interacting mm-hmm. with your experiences. And um part of what I think is happening in cognitive therapy by the way is expansion. Yeah. Uh, and the um the um that but that selfless context metaphor is so freeing. Mm-hmm. That like I am the board not the pieces i hold these i'm in contact with them i'm not away from them right i'm not comprehensively distanced yeah. from them mm-hmm. they they rest on me they touch me i they're embodied they're part of my experience and they are not all of my experience indeed they're minuscule when you think about all of the experiences that you have as a human being and the place where they occur
3: mm-hmm.
1: which is that selfish context so i'd say that's probably my, my favorite place. And you can get people to like, notice I'm not my trauma.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so much more than that experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You start looking at all of the days of your lives and all of the things that you learned, like that trauma is just one aspect of you and it doesn't have to be all of you. And it can be freeing to kind of connect to that. That mm-hmm. place so much more than that event, mm-hmm. or event, even if it was multiple traumas.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a, a client I worked with in a EMDR session. At the end, when we went back to the image, he was an artist, and he said, "He said now I see it, but I actually see it as one part of a mosaic that makes up a self-portrait of me, and that one." Is one small moment in my life that makes up who I am. That doesn't define me. Um, and it was yeah. this kind of shift that that he really had that was very significant. Um, that, and that visual kind of I thought was uh, was really stood out to me. Um, yeah. So tell me about what have you been thinking about or interested in lately, or in, either in your work or what's going on with the act work or anything in the field that's that's your interest or kind of yeah
1: well I've I've been super um, busy with a couple of things and hopefully this doesn't sound like too much of a plug but I've written several books in the last couple of years so uh-huh. I wrote a book called the heart of Act" to get at the interpersonal and intrapersonal processes that are happening in that kind of inner behavioral field between you and your client. And uh, uh, then a colleague and I just wrote a because of the times we were Mm -hmm. thinking about how much anger has been in the world and Mm -hmm. you know anger at racism, um, anger at inequality, Mm -hmm. uh, anger at government, you know all the anger at COVID and what it's done and and so um, myself and Manuela O'Connell just finished a book. called um uh, act for anger it's a self-help book
2: so mm-hmm.
1: okay. uh, where we, ha- we help people work um on anger and we just finished another self-help on moral injury where mm-hmm. it's a trauma related thing too where we're looking at people who may be perpetrated an act of trauma
2: uh-huh. or by
1: accident did something that caused somebody else's death or something like mm-hmm. that and that their morals were violated in some way and now they're mm-hmm. struggling with guilt and shame.
0: And of their sense um, of who they are that they did that or or yeah. intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You see this in uh, veterans who have um perhaps getting swept up in some of what's going on in war, who um um commit a war crime, or maybe they had to, you know, were under fire and they had to return fire in a innocent person got killed
3: Mm -hmm.
1: or maybe somebody's texting while driving and they cause an accident that kills somebody yeah you know so there's lots of ways that these these morally challenging things can show for people and so we're using sort of values-based work truly to get people back in line with their values working on forgiveness of themselves maybe others if it's a betrayal or something like that and so that's, I'm sort of swimming around in that territory that's right now. That's
0: interesting, yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah. Um, with a lot of my clients, I uh, do a lot of work with shame, you know, and I actually do a lot of work with adults with ADHD where that's a very big too. But, um, but yeah, that rem- makes me think of, yeah, the, that shame of kind of what one has done and oftentimes people then go into a shame spiral and avoid. And, and sometimes the way I think about the antidote to shame, is through integrity. You know, taking responsibility, making amends, and then kind of taking next steps in the direction of one's values, this and the willingness to kind of walk through that fire and discomfort of acknowledging and dealing with and so on. Um, so that's great. is that is that out now, that book, or is that something you're working on?
1: So that book is out now. Um oh, to so self-acceptance and commitment therapy for a moral injury. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a a um, we're doing a uh, feasibility and acceptability trial with ACT mm-hmm. compared to present centered therapy uh, in veterans with moral injury mm-hmm. and so there's I'm working with a great team um, here locally Kent Drescher and some uh, folks in um, uh, Denver Colorado uh, Sean Barnes and uh, Jacob Barnesworth. and I feel like I gotta say their names Lauren Borges you don't have get yeah. them the credit they deserve they're really, really? A fantastic group of colleagues who have been working on act for moral injury and really we've written some papers about it and just you know what are moral emotions and what's getting violated how do you how do you define moral injury and mm-hmm. we conceptualize it as there's moral pain from when you first commit the act or the act happens yeah and the pain that would come behind that would be very natural right like mm-hmm. i did that I wish I wouldn't have done something happened that was not good but then the injury is from now I need to hide myself
2: and
1: you know um, uh, not let people see my shame and I need to be away from people because I'm evil or Mm
2: -hmm. however
1: they might be interpreting um, their experience and then what happens though is more people get harmed and they get harmed and the problem of it it just grows and and shame is such an interesting, like a, its a fascinating emotional experience to me because it, the hiding of it is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to ask everybody who's listening to the podcast right now to say, "I want you to come on and tell Keith and I your most shameful moment,"
2: mm-hmm. like
1: they probably all like click off. The yeah. Right? Right?
2: That I'm out, out of here.
1: <laughs> it's very hard to report about those events
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so that shame is, sits there and eats at people and what we need to do is see it and what is it trying to tell us and what's important about it and use it as information rather than avoidance and see what yeah. it's yeah. you know imagine if we didn't have shame
0: mm, yeah I mean it's kind of something to keep us on track of whatever yeah that, that moral compass is that we have yeah. Um, yeah, it reminds me about, you know, makes me think of like 12 step programs and so on. And oftentimes with alcoholism that, you know, getting up in front of the room and telling one story, telling about the, the, the things that happened, the shameful acts that, you know, uh, might've happened and such and, and kind of being with that and not avoiding it and kind of growing from that rather than just kind of like, it's over moving on, you know, kind of peace um but yeah no it's very it's so dysregulating you know that 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 pain um
1: and making repairs behind it like there, you know in the like the aa philosophy right i think it's step nine where you make a repair
2: mm-hmm. that,
1: and um there's something that's yeah, valuable that, right like a that yeah. it has a healing kind of quality to it where you can you know do something that's values-based that realigns you with what your own integrity or authenticity mm-hmm. or important to you can yeah. i think really really make some changes for people in terms of you know, recovering and healing from these kinds of mm-hmm. struggles that they have and what i mean by recovering and healing is the suffering goes down right yeah. it doesn't mean that the emotions disappear
0: no, not going to get rid of
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a. There's, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a, whatever, it's, it's a sitcom type show of a, a. My name is Earl, about a guy who is kind of, you know, he's a steal stuff and rob things and so on. And then he like kind of finds karma, and he creates a list. And every episode, he's going around and making amends for all the bad things that he did, and kind of how that that unfolds. Um, it's just a fantastic it's,
1: it's, show. Yeah, uh, it's a, a really good one.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Earl. Yeah.
0: Well, great. Well, it sounds like you're doing some wonderful stuff. Um, and uh, oh, and you know, actually one more thing that I, I forgot, you've also done some work with couples in ACT, haven't you? Because uh, uh, something that made me think about that is, you know, especially with the veterans and I know in, in emotionally focused couples therapy, they've been doing some work with veterans and, and kind of helping them, some, having them sometimes share those moral injuries with their partner. And the fear of seeing the you know the the repulsion from a partner or disgust or so on, and instead, you know, kind of seeing love and compassion. Oftentimes, how how through those attachment relationships that can really you know help someone heal from from the shame and kind of you know um, uh, be more present, be more connected in relationships. Um, yeah, can you yeah mention anything around the couples work and kind of what that yeah
1: yeah yeah well so. Um, Dara Westrup and I wrote a book called *The Mindful Couple* a few years back, and um, I've done a little work with supervising folks who are seeing couples and see couples in my own very very small mm-hmm. uh, practice. And I really like working with couples. It's it's interesting to see them getting working on willingness to feel what they feel when they're when they. When their partner's feeling something. Mm, yeah. It, like, can I be present to my own emotional experience or do I have to shut my partner down so I don't feel what I feel? Yeah. To get them thinking about their shared values mm-hmm. and how to move forward and creating those kinds of things. And so um, I quite like the couples' work. I'm not doing it as much as I was, but I yeah. certainly do couples in my in my private sure. practice and get them yeah. working on those kinds of things.
0: I like that idea of the sitting with the emotions. Um, I oftentimes will even show that clip from Brene Brown's Ted talk with the, it's a little animation out of like a little bear that goes down to the hole of it. You know, and it talks about the difference between shame and pity and and talks about to really have true, uh, between empathy and and, uh, pity or so on, um, that to really have empathy, we have to sit with those emotions and connect with having felt that feeling that the other person is feeling And sometimes that gets dysregulating. And so people shut it down and say, oh, well, you know, at least, you know, so-and-so is doing good in school or whatever it might be. But I think, you know, like you're saying, it's that aspect of, can you sit with your own emotions and connect with them? Because that's what ultimately kind of is that bridge to the empathy to to really understand the other's experience. Um, So I like, I like that, what you're talking about with the act and helping the person kind of tune in and kind of experience their, their experience as their, Connecting with their partner or talking to their partner.
1: Well, and there's a lot of if you look at what um, partners are doing when they're struggling, they're often wanting to control the other person in some way. I mm. want you to stop doing what you're doing. I want you to start doing something else. Yeah. And they're you know trying all different kinds of ways to make that happen. And what I'm interested in is what part of trying to control your partner is about trying to like not feel. Mm. Or something, or maybe has a very rigid rule inside of it, or something like that. Mm. Not that you can't negotiate with your partner. Of course, we want people to negotiate with each other, but some of these really tough places are about, you know, I want you to do what I want you to do.
2: Yeah.
1: And I don't want to feel this when you don't do it, right? Uh, And, And so couples will get into a kind of a who's in control battle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the great things to do is to think about your own relationships and how much control of your partner do you actually try to do either mm-hmm. that you know you're doing or might be a little bit, um, yeah. un- you know, like you're not to- totally putting it out there that you yeah. know you're doing. It. It's a lot.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: <laughs> <A> lot to <laughs> right. notice
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: To look at your own. <laughs> like when you start looking at like how much it and I've, a, I've asked couples to do things like I, I want you to just take this week and uh-huh. your whole week is to resist controlling your partner
2: yeah and
1: you should just see they go like no <laughs>
2: things
1: are gonna fall apart it's gonna be terrible you don't know my partner if i do that but yeah it's when they come back it's a i get all kinds of responses like it was really interesting. Like things didn't fall apart, and
0: yeah,
1: freer, and you know, so it's it's fascinating
0: to kind of watch some of yeah. those things. interesting. Well, Robbins, thank you so much. It's always great talking with you. Um, I love hearing about the the work that you're doing, and really love the the ACT approach. Um, definitely, we'll look out for uh, this book and those other books that you've written, and I'll you know put some of that information on the website and such too. Uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it for joining us.
1: And thank you for having
0: me. It's nice to talk with you and see you again, Keith. Okay, take care. Thank you for joining us. If you're wanting to use this podcast to earn continuing education credits, please go to our website at therapyonthecuttingedge.com. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, providing in person and remote therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area. IAP provides training for licensed clinicians through our in person and online programs, as well as our treatment for children adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults. For more information, go to sfiap.com or call 415-617-5932. Also, we really appreciate feedback. And if you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of therapy and think clinicians should know about it, send us an email or call us. We're always looking for the advancements in the field of psychotherapy to help in creating lasting changes for our clients.